Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture said, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Amen. Welcome, Rowan. Good morning, everyone. Um, as we're all aware, last night we lost a dear friend. So please bear with me this morning. Uh, this could go anywhere. In a good way, hopefully. But, uh, let, let's start with prayer. Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning tinged with sadness. But Lord, we know that your will is for us to journey together through the highs and the lows with love for one another and to meet together in celebration of all of that. Heavenly Father, Peter set a perfect example for us of joy in the face of of adversity. I pray that this morning 
You will speak through me. Give me the words to say. Let this message be yours and yours alone. Amen. I had the great joy of spending some time with Peter a few weeks ago. He was in hospital. And we sat and talked. And that was it. And the joy that emanated from Peter was tangible. He was at an incredibly low point. But as he sat in his hospital bed, he opened himself up. But he was submitted to God. He didn't want to be there. No one would. But he chose to submit that situation to God and share his joy with all those he came in contact with. We sat and we talked about my decision to resign from follow. We talked about his family. He loved telling me about his grandkids. We talked about Buddy Holly. He teased me again for using a capo on my guitar. All the normal things. And the thing that hit me most was the joy that he had. He was a tremendous encouragement to many of us, and I'm sure he will never be forgotten. So today we continue our series through James. Today we're up to James chapter 4. And as Luke said a few weeks ago, we're not covering everything. There's far too much here to get through in five weeks. So in your MCGs, in your own personal study, I'd encourage you to keep wrestling with this. Go beyond what we're talking about on Sundays and dig deeper because by no means will we even scratch the surface. Today we're going to jump around a little bit, so hopefully I don't get too abstract, and hopefully you'll be able to keep up reasonably well. As Christians, the Bible instructs us to submit in a variety of ways. We are to submit to God, to the Scriptures, to church leaders, to governments. Wives are to submit to their husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters, young to old. And in every one of those situations, there is a great deal of responsibility placed on the person to whom we are to submit. For today, we'll focus on what it means to submit to God. James begins with a few questions. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. I don't want to get bogged down in these verses, but I don't want to gloss over them either. This is a stern and serious warning. James is setting the scene of a Christian community that is divided, made up of groups of people who are seeking their own desires and ambitions. They each have their own agendas that they're chasing, and they've convinced themselves that they know what is best. In response to verse 2, one commentator states that 
Prayer that is consistent with true faith will not make selfish requests. Desire-filled, envious believers do not make requests of God, but instead they are driven by their self-sufficiency in that they do not really trust in God for his provision and shame in that they do not correct themselves once they become aware of how bad their attitudes really are. Only God can bestow the good gifts they need and should truly desire, but they will not ask him. In this refusal to humble themselves in prayer, they only show how lacking they are in the most basic traits of human wisdom, sorry, of Christian wisdom, and how driven they are by worldly wisdom. There is a great deal going on here at Follow at the moment. This year will be a season of change. In February, we had a series called Change for Growth. It's not by coincidence. And confession time. I'm causing some of that change by leaving. I apologise for any heartache that might cause. But as there are discussions about changing the constitution, about appointing new leaders, and generally about the vision of the church, speak to the pastors and elders about anything you may be confused or concerned about. Don't talk about them behind their backs. Don't whisper in silenced conversations. Talk to them. Be open. Luke's message last week encouraged us all to use our words to build up and not to tear down. And James continues that theme in verses 11 and 12 of today's passage. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? So please don't slander each other. If you are unsure or concerned, ask. Luke, Dave and the elders will all happily make time to talk with you openly about everything that's happening. They're all determined that the entire process will be a transparent one. There is no desire for personal gain in the changes that are being made. The only desire is to see God's kingdom continue to grow. The changes that are being proposed come from a place of submission to God through a great deal of prayer. So join in the process. Become part of the constructive discussion. But don't tear people down. And ultimately, remember that Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. All right, soapbox is done with. Do you ever feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders? Just weighed down by everything that's happening in life. Do you just wish that someone would help you with that? Plenty of people know what you're going through, right? your friends, your family, 
but none of them are doing anything to take that load off. There's a song we sing here at Follow called I Will Look Up. And it begins with some great advice for anyone who resonates with what I just asked. It says, all the worries of this world, I will lay them at your feet. Surrender every anxious thought for perfect peace. This is the heart of James's message. In fact, James quotes Proverbs 3 when he says in verse 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God is asking us to lay our burdens down at his feet. We don't have to carry that alone. It's incredible news. But let's be honest. This is one of those things that's easier said than done, right? To lay all our problems at the feet of Jesus isn't always as easy as it seems. For some people it might seem that way, but for others it takes a bit of practice. All right, we're getting there. Come on. Hey. James 4, 7 to 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Seems a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Isn't laughter and joy what we're after? Why would we trade those in for grief and mourning? It's the opposite of what we're after. But whenever you're happy, when everything's going right, do you instinctively go, yes, God, I need you. Everything's great. No, they're the times when we go, woo, done. I've got this sorted. And we sit back and wait until the times when things fall apart. That's when we seek God. That's when we earnestly strive for God because we can't do it on our own. That's what God wants. He wants your grief and your mourning. He wants you to seek Him earnestly. This is the chorus of the song I mentioned. And this is going to shape the rest of today's message. I will look up, for there is none above you. I will bow down and tell you that I need you. I will look back and see that you are faithful. And I'll look ahead, believing you are able. I really hope these words ring true with you. This is a model of submission. 
So I will look up. I'd be willing to hazard a guess that we're all happy with these words, right? No one here is disagreeing that, no, 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 God's not above everything. Good, glad we all agree. There is nothing ambiguous about this statement. There is none above our Lord. This is exactly why we are called to submit to God. He is our creator. He created everything that we know. Now James's words in verse 4 are pretty strong. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, enmity is a synonym for hatred. Friendship with the world means hatred of God. Pretty sure that's a place we don't want to be in. David Nystrom, in his commentary on James, discusses friendship with the world, explaining what it looked like in the church that James was writing to. In his church, leaders had advocated that the sin of favouritism was not, in fact, sin, but that certain cultural norms were fully commensurate with the gospel. This position James attacked. He goes on to say that the bane and blindness of liberal Christianity includes the assumption that there should be a warm joining of hands between culture and Christianity. But the Bible often compels us to stand for values radically at odds with those of our culture. To suppose otherwise is to misunderstand Scripture at the most basic level. As James says, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. But he doesn't leave it there. You see, that attitude could lead to going too far the other way, at which point he states that evangelicals are also guilty of a blanket excoriation of the world. Now, I had to look that word up. It basically means criticism of the highest order. So, yeah, I was thinking of really good scrubbing. I'm glad you all agree, yes. Good, I thought I was weird. Anyway, friendship with the world refers to embracing the standards of the world. But there are not infrequent points of correspondence. Double negative means there are quite a few. Christians should affirm what is true and worthwhile in our culture instead of churlish blanket condemnation. So we are called to live in the world, but not of the world. We're called to refer back to God in all situations. Rather than try and do everything by our own power, we must seek God's wisdom and, to, and submit to his will. So we look up. We remember that God is above all things. He created us and everything else in this world. He has a plan for this world. And we are a part of that plan. We must acknowledge that we are deeply flawed individuals. And it is only by His grace 
that we are righteous. It is only by acknowledging God's incredible might and power, his total authority, that we can truly come before God in submission. We must humble ourselves before him and he will lift us up. So there is good news in this. We need to reach the depths of despair first so that God can lift us up. And once we've looked up, we bow down. We bow down and we tell God that we need him. There are some things we can do without God's help. All day we do little things. But it's the big things where we need his strength. The big decisions. And this is where prayer comes in. Just as I talked about earlier, the way we pray is essential. In verse 3, James instructs us, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 1 commentary states that in Matthew 7 verse 7 Jesus gave an unconditional promise that prayer would be answered. James in verse 3 makes explicit what Jesus left implicit. You do not receive because you ask God not for wisdom but for selfish pleasures that by definition are not in the interests of the Christian community. So when you pray, what do you pray for? Do you pray for happiness, for wealth, for health? Or do you ask God for wisdom? Do you make a decision about something and then ask God to bless your decision? Or do you ask for his wisdom and guidance as you make the decision? I've heard many people say over the years, can you pray for me? I quit my job, so I need God to give me a new one. Well, the reason for quitting the job in the first place may have felt like a good one, but the prayer's coming at the wrong time. It's no secret that I'm finishing up here at Follow in a week. But I can assure you that there was no shortage of prayer through that process. As I said a few weeks ago, I've been working through this since last year. I didn't go on a whim that I had some massive issue because there wasn't one. I felt uncomfortable. So I turned to God for wisdom and guidance. When I'd exhausted how far I could go with God on my own, I brought in others who I trusted And trust me, by the time I was finished with them, they were exhausted. (laughs) Ultimately, I reached a point where I could not deny, even if I wanted to, that God was calling me out from this place. Now, recently, I've also been talking with a friend who is going through a rough time at work. She's in a new workplace, in a role that she doesn't enjoy, 
and she's really struggling with it. She has had debilitating anxiety as a result, and there's been weeks where she's made it to work for half a day. When looked at through the lens of what she's been through over the last few years leading up to this point, anyone would encourage her and congratulate her on making the decision to put herself first and quit that job. By all human reasoning, she has done more than is expected in a situation that is untenable. But that's not what she's done. She has shown incredible strength of character. Instead of walking away, she's prayed about it. She's brought other people in to pray with her. And rather than asking God for a way out, she's asking God to take her deeper, to find the purpose for the situation. She's waiting to see who she's going to impact and who is going to impact her in this place. Two very different situations with different outcomes, but both centred around prayer, looking for God's wisdom. So let's be honest. It's all well and good for me to stand here and say this. Just look up and look down. But the fact is that we all go through times when we are discouraged in our faith. We all go through times when we feel distant from God and start wondering whether he is still listening to us at all. It may be that we've been praying for a while but don't seem to be getting an answer. And at those times when we're feeling discouraged, it's important that we move on to the next step. We look back and we see that God is faithful. If you look back at your life honestly, what do you see? Do you see God hanging you out to dry at the worst times? Or do you see the tough times in life were the ones where you had walked away? Now, I'm guessing that many of you, if not all of you, will know this poem. It's called Footprints. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever 
during your trials, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. God will never leave you or forsake you. I endeavour to live my life by faith. I know that God is always faithful and I know that he will always be faithful. The lack of faithfulness is all me. But that didn't mean I wasn't always... Sorry, it didn't mean I was always like this. When I was younger, I tried to plan everything. Tried to do everything by my own strength, my own power. But those who know me well will understand I have a very short attention span. On my own wedding day, while waiting for Christine to arrive at the church, I stood at the front with my best man and my groomsmen, trying to get them to entertain me because I was bored. And I was fidgeting and asking people to tell me a joke. And there was people sitting there going, oh, isn't that cute? He's anxious. And my mum just rolled her eyes and went, no, he's not, he's bored. (laughs) And it's true. I will say, once Christine arrived, all good. No more boredom. So realistically, if I can't even get through my own wedding day, what chance do I have getting through life? I can't make it through lunch figuring out what to do. Christine has to decide for me most of the time. So I gave up. I looked back and I could see that God was faithful. So, hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? God is faithful, which makes the looking up and the looking down easier. God's got this. So look up, because there is none above him. Look down and tell him that you need him. Look back to remind yourself that, you, that he is faithful and look ahead, believing that he is able. Submitting to God doesn't mean never planning again. Doesn't mean that we can't think about the things that we want to do with our lives. God has given us all gifts and talents, and we are expected to use them, but we are called to use them for his glory, not our own. As we look ahead, let's return to James's writing. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I heard Matt Chandler speaking about this passage recently. And he pointed out that the mist referred to here is not like a fog on a winter's day that hangs around for most of the day and shuts down the airport. No, think a puff of smoke from a vape pen. Gone. Insignificant. Now, James is specifically referring to merchants here. 
but it's a message that is applicable for all of us. When we make plans for the future, what are our priorities? What are we planning to get out of it? Is money the end goal? Happiness? Are we dressing up selfish desires with good intentions to look after our family and friends so that other people won't think bad about us? The Bible does not command us to live a life of poverty, but it does command us to live a life of worship to God, using all of our gifts and talents, our abilities to glorify Him in everything we do. I read this during the week. This entire passage is one of the most important biblical sources for a Christian ethic of business. There is nothing evil or wrong per se about anything God has made and put at our disposal, but God is not at our disposal. Neither are his standards for faith. Nothing in a person's life lies outside of faith and the good deeds that must flow from faith. Life is lived, but only if God wills, just as assuredly as deeds are done only if God wills. Their actions had been based on the earlier stated problem, you do not have because you do not ask, in verse 2. What kind of faith was theirs? They did not make their plans in a devout way, acknowledging God in all their plans and expectations. The question of an active versus a permissive will of God is not at issue here. No believer should test God by acting apart from the norm of faith. Indeed, if believers will say, God willing, their prayers will result in their receiving from God. So if you are a gifted business person, seek God's will and use your skills to glorify Him. If you're a talented musician, seek God's calling and pursue opportunities to glorify Him using your music. If you are a skilled tradesperson, seek God's will for your business and glorify Him. If you're a student, seek God first before worldly knowledge. Think critically about everything you learn and glorify God by using the intellect He has given you. Submitting to God begins when we stop resisting God. As the music team comes up, I invite you to think about the areas of your life in which you need to submit to God. Last month, we looked at change for growth. Is God calling you to make a change in one or more areas of your life? Are you resisting God in that? Or... Are you submitting those areas to God? Maybe the act of submission is the change you need to make. I will look up, for there is none above you. I will bow down and tell you that I need you. I will look back and see that you are faithful. I look ahead, believing you are able. Think about the words on the screen. We're about to sing this song together. So let the words wash over you, soak into your heart and mind, 
sing them to the Lord as your personal prayer today. And we'll close with James' words in verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do, it is sin for them. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.